Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. <clears throat> if you have not done so already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, either your paper Bibles or your electronic Bibles, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We'll look at verses 7 through 12 today. And while you're doing that, let me join in saying happy Father's Day to fathers. Even more, I would like to thank you, fathers, for the way that you prioritize the preaching and the teaching of Christ, modeling Christ to your family, modeling Christ to your children. Thank you for doing that. Reading from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for your love. We are grateful for your love as a father. Father, thank you for your love that you never cease to display. It's a steadfast love. And now, Lord, as I preach your word, I ask that you would take my lips and you would speak through them. You would take our minds and you would think through them. You would take our hearts and you would set them on fire with love for yourself. You would take our wills and bend them and mold them to be your own. We pray for the sake of Christ. Amen. Well, congratulations to many of us who have finished another school year. Thank you. I am excited. Yes, summer is here. Wonderful things to do. Nice honeydew list to attack. Now it's time for summer break. For those of us who are or have been students, you know that there are exams. There are midterm exams. There are final exams. Some of you might have just finished some final exams. And then sometimes there are in-course exams, but at least for a while, they are done. 
The purpose of exams, educationally speaking, or tests, is to demonstrate what we've learned and what we know. And as long as there are courses, there will be tests. Well, as we've been studying the book of First John, we know that we've been talking about tests, and John has been presenting different tests. Those tests are a little bit different. Those tests are to help the readers, including us, to determine who is truly part of the Christian faith and who is not. And in so doing, to bring assurance to those who are of the Christian faith. We've already seen many times in this book how John presents the test of love. Those who are truly of God will love, and they'll demonstrate God's love. If you will, look over at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So by definition, a Christian, according to John, cannot exist without love. Now, I don't think we can overstate the gravity and the importance, nor the power of love, of loving one another. I also think that anyone, Christian or non-Christian alike, would agree love is important, and Christians are supposed to love. We've heard that, we know that. But that's not the point of what John is saying here. That's not what he's saying. The text before us today presents the question, what does John mean by love? What does he mean? And as an aside, fathers, happy Father's Day, um, the way you answer this question and the way you practice this question is one of the most significant influences that you will ever have in your children's life. So back to the passage. If all that we say is that loving one another is important and we don't define the nature of love, please hear me carefully, we've not said anything that's uniquely Christian. Many religions, many societies, even godless societies would say that love is important, that practicing loving one another is important. And we, dear friends, live in a culture that is increasingly aggressive at presenting to us competing philosophies of what love is and what it's not and what we should accept as love. So just this week, I saw on a Facebook posting a dear friend who was marching in a parade for same-sex marriage, carrying a sign that said, love is love. And I thought to myself, is that true? 
Later in the week, I was brought into a conversation where love was defined for me as nothing more than a series of chemical reactions in the body where the flow of dopamine is the chief chemical coursed through the nervous system. Apparently, that's becoming more and more popular. So I thought to myself, if that were true, then telling my, light, my wife that I loved her would sound something like, and of course my most romantic voice, <laughs> hello follow, fellow biological unit, I would like to communicate to you that you increase my metabolic reaction rate and hormonal levels of cerebral dopamine. Now, to a scientist, that might sound good. Now, that might be well and true, and I think there's validity to chemical interactions. But it certainly loses something in terms of the translation of love. But in all seriousness, friends, if we fail to understand John's definition of love, we're in danger of missing John's point. And in light of the requirement that we just read, which we all have, the requirement is both for Christians and non-Christians, by the way, were called to an obedience of showing love. But in light of that, do you see that eternity and salvation rest in the balance? Because those who don't show love are not of God. Eternity is in the balance. But even more than that, as we talk about love. The Bible says that God is love. God is love. So if we get this wrong, we communicate wrongly about who God is. So the problem that this passage deals with is what does John mean by love? And as we spend some time in it, I think that we'll see And it is going to be my desire to argue and to submit to you that love as defined by John requires faith in Christ. Requires faith in Christ. Mere human love. Now, I'm not downgrading mere human love. All love comes from God. But simply, mere human love apart from the intervention, apart from the awakening power of God's Holy Spirit, is insufficient to make us acceptable to God. And that awakening power comes as we bow our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have power to live that way. So in a succinct phrase, what I'm arguing this morning is this. God-honoring love requires Christ-exalting faith. God-honoring love requires Christ-exalting faith. I have three points this morning. My first is this, number one. God defines love 
through the sacrifice of Christ. God defines love through the sacrifice of Christ. Please look down at verses 9 and 10 in your Bibles. It says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. There's a specific definition going on here. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. How we define love is critical. We must be careful again to ascribe certain types of love to God without knowing the truth. In that case, we can mar his character, misrepresent him. We must re remember that the love of God is a holy love. It's a sovereign love. One author states, in our culture, the love of God has been purged of anything that culture finds uncomfortable. It's been sanitized, democratized, and above all, sentimentalized. We must be careful of how we talk about God's love. Some theologians describe the uniqueness of God's character and therefore his love as don't be offended by this, but as alien. Not that God's an alien, but that his love is so different that it's different than us, and we think of it as terms in terms of being different. God is holy. God is high. Everything that God does is filled with his love. I pray that we are careful that we guard against cultural tendencies given and that we hold to what Scripture teaches about God's love. So as we look at the text, we're reminded that the love of God is defined and explained not in a sense of romance, not in a sense of sentimentalized feeling or simply goodwill, but by a holy sacrifice by a holy sacrifice of an innocent for the sake of sinful, convicted rebels. God gave his one and only son. That marks his love. In this, the love of God was manifested among us. The scripture says that God sent his son. Friends, when we think of God's love, it ought to bring to our mind the cross. We must keep it there. That's one of the reasons why we have it in our churches. It demonstrates succinctly God's love. Jesus didn't come merely to teach us to be kind. Though kind is good. Jesus didn't come merely to help us to learn to help one another, though helping is good. Jesus didn't come simply to teach us to sacrifice for one another, though sacrifice is important. He didn't come merely to talk about social justice or combating racism or fighting for the unborn, as critical as those are. 
That's not the main reason he came. He came for a far, far more important reason. He came to call the dead to life. He came to bring new life. He came to give to a dead and dying world what we could never get simply by doing good things. He came to live a life we could not live. He came to die a death we could never die. Friends, I was running headlong toward hell on a highway, happy that way. No desire for God. He arrested me. He arrested a rebel. And he gave me life. You as well, if you're a believer here, you were running headlong. You were running to hell. You didn't have regard for God until he gave it to you. And he arrested you. Some of you here today are still running headlong towards hell. And you know who you are. You're running from God. And you know he's called you. You know he wants you for his own. Tragically, I say this in all love. You who are running from God, God forbid, but the scripture teaches if you were to die today, you would be in a place of eternal torment separated from God forever. The world may make light of hell. Reality doesn't. And I urge you, if you are running from God, if you have distanced yourself from him, if you've allowed your passion for him to fall, please consider his love for you. Please consider your eternity. Jesus came to take in his body our sin. He came, as we sang about, to die a death that we deserved. He was crushed for our iniquity. The scripture uses the word propitiation. It's a powerful word. So powerful that some theologians argue it. Because it talks about in his body he took the wrath of God that was deserved for us. Jesus came to give his life. He gave all. We bring nothing. Except the sin that caused him to die. What kind of king would do that? What kind of king would die for people? Especially those people who nailed him there. That's our king, friends. That's our king. What kind of love does that? Something in us should go, oops, that doesn't work. That's unjust. That's not right. A father took his holy, innocent son and upon him put all of our sin and punished him for it. What's right about that? 
What's right about that is it demonstrates the unbelievable glory of the love and grace of God. And friends, if you are here today, and that is you as the son of God or the daughter of God, you have so much to celebrate. So much to celebrate. So much it should consume all of our life. And that, my dear friends, is what the Bible says is the love of God. Something that we rejoice in, something that we grow in, something that we'll never exhaust in understanding. And that's good news. Point number two. Oh my. God commands love. God commands love, both in its practice and its understanding. Please look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. The command to love, of course, is a familiar phrase throughout John's writings. We see it in many different places. 1 John 3.11 says this, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Likewise, John 13.34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I've loved you, you are to love one another. Just two chapters after that, I didn't bring it up, but in John, Jesus says it again. Love one another. The love that we're called to, friends, is a love that keeps Christ at the center. Our calling as his people is to practice love, but not just to practice it. To practice it in a way that keeps his sacrifice central. Let me say that again. We're called to practice love in a way that keeps his sacrifice central. And to do that, to do that, to practice his love in a way that keeps his sacrifice central, there must be an awakening of our hearts by his Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen just because we desire it. But in addition to that, it needs the power of God I. Howard Marshall says, Human love, however noble and however motiv highly motivated, falls short, falls short if it refuses to include the Father and Son as the supreme objects of its affection. I realize that these words are not popular in our culture, but they're central to Scripture. The love we're called to obey must include an affection for God. A couple thoughts, friends. If our love is to fulfill God's command and John's definition, it's got to be, first of all, God-honoring. It's got to be God-honoring. It's interesting that John uses the phrase, God is love. John describes God's character and nature as love, which means all God does is colored with love. His justice is loving justice. His discipline, loving discipline. His commands, loving commands. His care, loving care. And all those who are born of God 
will practice a love in such a way that reflects him, his character, his statutes. Our love is to honor him. Having said that, therefore, things done in the name of love that violate his character and statutes are not love. What do you mean, Chris? That's where the preacher goes from preaching to meddling. Saying that it's okay for two unmarried people to have sex because they love each other is simply nonsense because it violates the command of God. To say marriage can take place between any gender simply because they love each other is a disregard for the expressed command and honor of God and therefore falls short of God's standard of love. Saying that I want to leave and divorce my spouse because I don't love them anymore violates, and more than that, makes a mockery both of the concept of love and the institution of marriage that it was created to demonstrate. The love of God, friends, that we are called to practice is first to be God-honoring. It's also to be Christ-exalting. The ultimate purpose why we obey God and practice love, as we've talked about, and as we talked about some with our child dedication, is for the glory of the name of Christ. Friends, we have been bought with a price. The price we've been bought with is his precious life and blood. All we're called to do is to honor him, including the way we love. We seek, by our demonstration of love, to magnify his sacrifice. Thirdly, our love needs to be faith-filled. The paradigm that John presents of faith, as we see in other parts of Scripture, will require acting upon Scripture. It's going to require acting upon Scripture. And as we act upon Scripture to love, it will cause inconvenience. It will cause self-sacrifice. It will cause prayer and desperation for God. It will call for commitment. It will call for surrender. And it will lead us to suffering. Friends, simple human emotion will never compel us to take up the cross. A love that is self-serving, a love that is simply culture-defined or emotion-driven, in the end, will never lead us to sacrifice for Christ. Only a love that is faith-filled will. And here's the irony. Only a love that is faith-filled, Christ-exalting, and God-honoring can bring the absolute abundance of joy that is promised to God's people who practice His love. 
He calls us to practice love for our joy. That joy as we practice is inescapable and unavoidable. Thirdly, God expresses love through those who know and love him. Point one, God defines love. Point two, God commands love. And point three, God expresses love through those who know and love him. Please look at John, 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. No one has ever seen God. Only the Son. Even Moses didn't see him, not face to face. No one has seen God. What is absolutely amazing, if you look at verse 12, is as we step out and follow him in love, we make the love of the invisible God visible. Let me say that again. As we step out and follow him and practice his love, we make the invisible God, the love of the invisible God, visible, tangible. We see it. And there's key ways that each of us can do that. Each of us are called to demonstrate love in different ways, in different areas. If you're a husband, you know the line. Love your wives, how? As Christ loved and loves the church and gave himself up, sacrificing for her. It is appropriate for us to sacrifice for each other, particularly husbands to lead out and sacrificing for our wives. If you see a brother or sister in need, how often does that happen? Simply consider how you might meet that need for the honor and glory of Christ. If you've offended a brother or a sister, it happens. Sadly, it happens. If you've been married more than two minutes, maybe two hours. It happens. But if you've offended a brother or sister, consider how Christ humbled himself. Even, even to those who violated him. How much more important is it for us to humble ourselves as sinful people before his holiness that we could exalt him with a brother or sister? How appropriate if we've offended, we go and humble ourselves. If you've been offended, consider, consider the forgiveness that Christ has offered and given to you. As I was reading over these verses, I was telling Matthew that one of the phrases that stuck out with me the whole time was the part where it said, so loved. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved. And I realized as I read over that, 
I needed to stop. I needed to think again what the so loved means. Different parts of scripture, it says, behold. In 1 John, it says, behold what manner of love. God so loved. Friends, I have the privilege to travel to La Paz. And in La Paz, there is this 23,000-foot mountain. And every time I land there, I look at that thing. And I stare at that thing. And I am in awe of that thing. And as I'm traveling around the city, I look up at it. And I'm just, whoa. But after I lived there for six months, eight months, I start to get a little bit more accustomed to it. Friends, we can get accustomed to the love of God. And it's important that we pause and we look again what it means, how he so loves us. What that means, because it's seen again in the cross of Christ. Friends, we're called to love as God loves. And let's be very honest. Nobody does it perfectly. Grateful for the prayer of confession this morning. Nobody loves God perfectly. As Christians, we are a work in progress. But we must keep in mind why we do it and for who we do it. Being born of God brings with it a knowledge that the love of Christ is our example and our goal, his honor. This must overshadow all we do, and it must inform our faith. So let me ask you this morning, as you think about your practice of love, as you think about your faith, are you more aware of God's love for you or your shortcomings and failures to demonstrate love? Let me say that again. Are you more aware of God's love for you or your shortcomings and failures to demonstrate love? Maybe some of you battle with just this low-grade sense of guilt. Never going to get over it. Never going to be good enough. Friends, that's an issue of faith. That's an issue of looking again at the so loved. He says his blood has washed away all our sins. He's put them from the east to the west. That means they are separated. We can't let go of and ever stop reminding ourselves as far as the east is from the west. Another part in scripture says he's taken our sins and he's cast them into the depths of the sea. They are gone. And we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Bringing that to our minds gives him honor and glory. Are you more convinced of his love for you than you are of your own shortcomings? And secondly, are you convinced that he's still at work in you? Are you convinced that he is at work, working in you to bring his love? Or are you at a place where you would say, it's never going to happen. I don't see it. I've tried again and again and again. Friends, we must keep in mind that God is at work. 
that his steadfast love endures. That his power of love has overcome even death, death itself. And that power, beloved, is at work in you.